Today's episode is sponsored by the American Chemistry Council. Chemistry creates, America competes. Hey, welcome back to Politico Tech. Today is Tuesday, November 28th. I'm your host, Stephen Overly. A week and a half ago, OpenAI CEO Sam Altman was ousted by the company's board, a decision that stunned employees, investors, and Altman himself. That news alone would have rocked the tech world. But what followed made for a true Silicon Valley melodrama. In a matter of days, those investors and employees rebelled. Altman accepted a highly publicized job at Microsoft, and then he got his old job back. Less than a week after Altman was fired, the board of directors was out, and he was back as CEO. The saga has now raised questions that extend well beyond one entrepreneur or one company. It has illuminated the tug of war between profit and safety inside these tech companies that are building powerful artificial intelligence systems. Systems that experts warn could have grave consequences for humanity if not managed properly. To talk through those questions, I called up Dewey Murdoch, the executive director at Georgetown University's Center for Security and Emerging Technologies. CSET has found itself to be something of a bit player in the open AI ordeal. One of its directors, Helen Toner, was among the OpenAI board members to originally push Altman out. On the show today, Dewey is quick to explain that CSET itself had no role in that decision. But he said the fallout, nevertheless, raises serious concerns about who has the power to control the future of AI. Okay, Dewey, so it's the afternoon of Friday, November 17th. News breaks that Sam Altman has been removed as the CEO of OpenAI, you know, one of the the biggest AI startups. Where are you when you hear this and and what's your first thought? So I'm currently at Georgetown. Um, We're doing an interview for uh, another executive director of a center that's part of the tech and society um, efforts that we've been standing up at Georgetown. And uh, my phone starts buzzing uncontrollably and I'm like, What's happening? Uh, so this has obviously got my attention, and um, it's been a it's been a fascinating uh, set of events that have happened over the last week or so. Um, that just from the perspective of a person who is very interested in good stories, there's been a lot of uh, a lot of uh, drama. It's been a wild story. News that breaks on a Friday afternoon. We have a term for that in, in journalism. We call it a Friday news dump, uh, which in the past, you know, has has been an attempt to kind of downplay. Uh, the news. That certainly didn't happen this time. We had, you know, uh, a straight week of uh, headlines and, and phones buzzing, without a doubt. One thing I we should disclose up front um, is that one of your employees there at the Center for Security and Emerging Technology, Helen Toner, was on the board of OpenAI at the time that Sam Altman was removed. And she's left the board now that he's returned to the company. You know, did you get any inside scoop as this was all playing out, or uh, were you reading the headlines with the rest of us? I was reading the headlines with the rest of everyone. No, I have no inside scoop. Helen worked with OpenAI in a role that was distinct and independent from Georgetown and the Center for Security and Merchant Technology. This is something that Georgetown has the ability for people who are both tenure line and non tenure line faculty to spend up to eight hours a week doing other things. And that fell into that capacity. Got it. That's good to know. As, as we've said, sort of this, this whole you know, ordeal, if you will, with OpenAI, it made for a week of captivating headlines. 
For me, frankly, one thing I'm really interested in is what this means for sort of the next five weeks, the next five years, you know, when it comes to how we think about and and manage the risks of AI. What does this signal to you about sort of that AI future? Well, I think this drama we've watched unfold, um, it's a stark reminder of how big a deal AI is. This is not a hypothetical impact. It, it You know, fortunes are being created and existing power balances are being upset. And I believe that policymakers, and as well as myself, are watching closely to see how this unique governance structure or other structures that corporations try to put in place to make sure that they develop systems that are good for humanity or are effective and don't have harms on um, individuals, how well they're working. So um, the fact that the news was swirling around an uh, organization with one of the unique most unique governance structures was interesting because it's watching how this plays out. How does it weather this storm? Is this a reliable uh, governance structure? Are other structures going to be necessary to um, make sure that we appropriately govern AI and the very large implications it has on real lives today? So the structure of OpenAI, which was sort of this quasi-company, quasi-nonprofit sort of structure with the intention of safely developing AI, that was sort of its stated mission. I mean, have you come away with any conclusions at this point, you know, as to how effective that structure actually is or or was given all the drama that, that did play out? I'll watch and see if I can come to a strong conclusion. I think at this moment, it's mostly an interpretation of the few facts I have. So... What I think is necessary is that anyone vested with the responsibility of governance truly understand what levers they have available to themselves, recognizing that there's an opportunity for acceleration, innovation we call it often, a need to make sure that technology is being misused and that people are safe in their uses of it. With that in their mind, they need to energetically use their governing roles, whether that be in a board or a corporate board or a government organization. If we don't do this, then we're essentially letting the system kind of run based on profit and financial reasons alone. And I think that's a very bad outcome if that's what comes out of this. Just as a quick follow-up on that, are you concerned that that is the outcome here? Because what has played out from what we can see publicly is, you know, uh, some folks tried to speak up to raise concern and to make changes, and that all sort of came undone. So I think we've seen one to two ways of reporting on this. Oh my, what's happening? And the reactions from the most vocal parties. Um, I think we have not seen the government entities or, you know, both representatives react to this. I think they're by constitution going to be more cautious to weigh in on this. And I think the question is, is this third or maybe fourth wave of responses will determine what kind of counter action is going to be necessary to make sure that we as a society stay on course. And I think it's a little too early to say, oh, yeah, we're all going one way based on the early uh, reactions. I'm honestly fairly optimistic that these tensions will not be released and just say, oh, yeah, just go do whatever you want. Right. Well, that's, you know, the big tension as I sort of see it around 
AI governance right now is sort of the role of government versus private companies um, versus maybe, you know, civil society, sort of who who holds what power. And you know, one um, thought I had as the dust settles, it does seem that this is sort of solidified in some ways, Sam Altman as more or less kind of untouchable as a company leader, right? And that's not new in tech, you know, Mark Zuckerberg at Facebook, Elon Musk at, at Tesla and X. Um, Jeff Bezos before he stepped back from Amazon, you know, that that dynamic has existed. But I wonder when it comes to AI, what are sort of the unique risks in having any one company executive with that kind of power? Well, the reality is, is we've learned this over and over as a society, that irrational exuberance is not helpful. And we've suffered the consequences as a society when, for example, social media did not receive the level of oversight that many people felt like it was necessary. And I think we're still you know, unraveling that and trying to figure out how to make sense. So we as a society have a responsibility to determine what should and should not be deployed within AI systems. And I think that question is a society level question. Um, and one person, no matter how pure of heart they are, uh, we know this from all decision research, it's super hard to break out of the values that you have or the incentives you have directly around you. So therefore, and I don't mean to be philosophical here, but it's just like, it's really important that many people weigh in on these issues. So a single person, no matter how gifted they are, is incapable of directing the path of uh, future technology that has such a societal impact. I mean, just to give a few examples of this, you know, AI is impacting real lives with, you know, facial recognition systems, loan awards. Uh, there was a troubling uh, suicide case where AI was implicated. There's mental health issues, as we talked about with um, social media and misinformation distribution. There's, you know, self-driving car mishaps that are showing up a lot. And so these are not theoretical risks that we need to figure out. Oh, we need to deal with this big risk that's going to happen sometime in the future. These are real risks that are happening today. We'll be right back. The Biden administration is moving forward with a slew of new regulations that put products like semiconductors, electric vehicles, modern healthcare technology, and clean energy at risk. Chemistry is essential to our modern lives, creating products to help foster a more sustainable and competitive future. The Biden administration must change its course and work with manufacturers on science-based policies that protect American innovation. Learn more at chemistrycreates.org. And we're back. Your comment about sort of having multiple folks kind of weigh in and manage sort of stands out to me in the context of, of how the whole OpenAI saga played out. You know, there, there's been some recent reporting from Reuters that, you know, some employees had raised concerns about OpenAI commercializing technology without fully understanding the risks of it. I don't know. You don't know to what degree that did or did not weigh in on the, the board's decisions. But it does raise the question to me of how do folks weigh in on these concerns about AI risks, about selling AI that hasn't been fully, you know, battle tested? How do you begin tackling that question? I think for me, just talking about theoretical problems doesn't actually spur action. While it's very interesting to think about some of those questions, I think the only thing that will actually reshape society is if we actually look at the real harms that are being impacted today or are happening today. We report them openly so people can see them. 
and then inform their judgment about what's appropriate and inappropriate or should or should not be done based on evidence of what's really happening. There are sectors that we have no idea how AI is being deployed. They're very, they're very hush. They're, uh, they, they're regulated and they don't want anyone to know. That's a little bit concerning to me because we actually don't know where those risks are impacting people who are getting loans or whatever. So I think the action that we should be taking as a society um, is to say, okay, we don't know how to stop all risks going forward, but we do know that if we got good information about what's actually hurting people today, it would help inform what we wanted to do. And so that's the kind of very practical, pragmatic next step that I think we should do. And then, and then the conversations about you know corporations having power or having decisions about what's deployed would be mitigated by the reality of what harms are actually being uh, seen. Got it. Focusing on sort of the the here and now, you're saying, yeah. and the the real real harms rather than sort of theoretical harms, which is interesting. And I feel like CSET, the Center for Security and Emerging Technology, has caught a bit of the spotlight from this open AI story, in part because of um, you know Helen Toner's position on the board, but in particular, there was a policy paper um, that was released last month that Helen co-authored with two other researchers there called Decoding Intentions, um, which from what I can tell, seem to sort of garner some recent attention because there is some criticism in there a bit of how OpenAI sort of rolled out ChatGPT 3.5. I know you had tweeted recently that you sort of stand by every word of that report. What compelled you to tweet that, to to make that statement? Well, I was very content to stay out of the loop um, as, you know, the OpenAI uh, discussion was unfolding. However, once it became clear that there was a possibility that CSET's research was being um, was being discussed, I wanted to be very clear that this was a, a very well done report that was not, from my perspective, uh, trying to point fingers at any given organization. It was trying to wrestle with a key issue of how do we govern AI. So, in nuclear testing, for example, if you set off a nuclear weapon in your testing range, there's ways of just seeing that that happened based on, you know, radiation dispersion or, or, you know, seismic activity. And because of that, there's a way to actually get agreements between competitors, in this case, countries, to say, oh, okay, if we see this, then we will know you're no longer compliant with that agreement we had. That actually forms the basis of trust and verifiability so that you can actually start to make these agreements of how to roll back um, unhelpful technology competitions. So um, we gave a couple of examples of what, uh, or the authors did, about what was uh, military or country level issues. And we said this, but this also applies to the corporate world. And we talked about, you know, the authors talked about how OpenAI had been very careful with release of certain technology uh, um chat gpt2 for example or other stages where they really evaluated and then they talked about how you know in their latest round what what they did it was very much of evidence-based discussion about here's what's been happening here's another company that was also working in this space and what they did because we thought it was a really important example to help illustrate this costly signaling that is we believe a part of how competitors will manage the release of potentially very impactful technology going forward. Right, right. 
Well, I want to also ask you, you know, in terms of CSET's work, I'm I'm curious what the center's relationship is with the effective altruism movement, which has been talked a lot about lately. As you said, CSET's based at Georgetown University. It's been around since 2019. The organization was largely funded with money from an organization called Open Philanthropy, which is affiliated with this effective altruism movement. So just to step back one thing, so CSET has had a close working relationship with OpenAI, with DeepMind, with organizations, uh, Anthropic. When I say close working relationship, we're not taking money from them, we're not, but in terms of like asking questions, figuring out how to explore these really difficult questions, we've been interactive with corporations. We're also very interactive with the House, the Senate, the White House, the, you know, departments and agencies across the federal government and well beyond that. So the reality is, is we have a lot of engagement with a lot of different organizations because we're trying to do evidence-based analysis to inform people's decisions. So that's kind of how we roll. Now, the effective altruist community, obviously OpenPhil took a pretty big risk, I guess, is at the time because we hadn't seen how an organization like CSET would operate uh, with this, you know, evidence-based analysis really sitting at the a cusp of AI. No one had done it at scale like we had. So they took a risk. And said, let's see if this will make a big difference. We were never founded as a effective altruist organization. I don't, wouldn't even ask uh, who subscribes to what philosophy within our organization. And so the relationship was immediately stood up as like, we were here to make policy relevant analysis that helps inform decision making. That necessarily is nearer term than hmm. like some of the longer term concerns that, that uh, consume the uh, community. So there's always been a tension, not a bad tension, but we're always working on the issues that are most relevant for policymakers. We engage, we ta- we hear the questions, but uh, OpenPhil, for example, doesn't review our papers before go out. They don't tell us what conclusions they'd like to see us reach. It's a very gracious relationship where we've basically, we're being resourced to do what's really important, but we're not being told that these are the talking points that we'd really like to see you hold to because that would be easier for us or whatever. So that is uh, how we've operated. So I'm not, and CSET is not an EA organization or person. Got it. Well, that's interesting because you were obviously saying earlier that you think the focus needs to be on sort of these real, present, immediate, near-term risks. And my understanding is that, you know, effective altruism is a longer-term sort of viewpoint, right? The more existential threats of yeah. of AI. And so I guess that's that tension you're talking about there. And how how do you navigate that? Because I think that's a tension that exists for the government, for companies. You know, it's it's a tension that um plays out in a lot of different places. Yeah, we have to always be aware of potential long-term risks. I mean, that would be you know foolhardy to not take those into account and to think about what could happen. My bias, I guess, or my current attention is toward risks that are currently happening for real people. And to me, if we can figure out how to take steps to inform how to mitigate those risks, I think it will actually help inform how to deal with the longer-term risks. So from my perspective, there's a neat match between the two problems. And I think being able to have a very clear process for taking a step, learning from it, and then taking a next step, I think is the appropriate way to move forward. Emerging technology moves so quickly, we can't put a 20-year plan together and say, oh, that's all, all we have to do is implement this because we won't know what that would be. However, we can take a step like these 
AI harms uh, incident database, mandatory, perhaps voluntary, political powers would need to figure that out. But with that, we will know a lot more on how to take the next step. I think the risk is if you just fixate on the long-term risks, you um, can sometimes get paralyzed. <laughs> um, hmm. I've had this happen with me and my own thinking about climate sometimes. You know, like, oh, wow, this is terrifying. And it's such a big issue. How do I take the next step? And so I don't take any step because I don't see it as actually, you know, stopping this big risk. And that that would be the worst <laughs> response. And nobody wants that. And that's why I'm saying that let's take the steps we can take, we know how to take, and then we'll learn more from that and then take the next step after that. Hmm. Got it. Got it. Well, listen, Dewey, this has been fascinating, and I appreciate you joining us here on Politico Tech. Well, Stephen, it's been a real pleasure, and thank you so much for the conversation. That's all for today's Politico Tech. For more tech news, subscribe to our newsletters, Digital Future Daily and Morning Tech. Music in today's show comes from the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. Our producers are Annie Reese and Kara Tabor, and our editors are Steve Heuser, Daniela Cheslow, and Louisa Savage. I'm Stephen Overly. I'll meet you back here tomorrow.